Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. Because you are faithful. We praise you tonight because you are gathered us. You have gathered us here tonight. We worship you and give you glory, Father. And we ask you now to pour out your spirit upon us. And we praise you and we bless you. Let us just pray in the spirit for a few minutes. Lord, this is a divine appointment with you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen and amen. You may be seated, saints, in the presence of the Lord. Tonight we are going to prepare for Pentecost. Isn't that wonderful? How many of you are excited about preparing for Pentecost? Amen. So let's open our Bibles tonight. We're going to open our Bibles, beloved saints, to the book of Joel. And we're going to look at Joel tonight because first of all, we're going to speak to you about the wheat harvest. This is something that's very important because Pentecost comes at the time of the wheat harvest. So maybe let us, before we look at Joel, we're going to actually go to Exodus chapter 23. So let's do this really quickly just to identify the Feast of Weeks. And so that we can understand the wheat harvest because Pentecost was ordained by God to come at the time of the wheat harvest. Looking at Exodus chapter 23, if you have it, say amen. amen. Looks like we got a little bit of reverb here. Exodus chapter 23, can you hear me now? Yes. Great. Uh, Exodus chapter 23, and let's look at verses 15, 16, and 17. And let me just turn to it. There we go. I didn't know you didn't have it left, so I'll get it. Okay. Exodus chapter 23, and we read, Three times a year will you keep a feast unto me in the year. You will keep the feast of unleavened bread seven days, as I have commanded thee, um, in the time appointed in the month of Abib, and the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when you have gathered in your labors out of the field. So here we see, dear people of God, that Pentecost, notice it says the feast of first fruits, the feast of harvest. Say that with me, the feast of first fruits, the feast of harvest. So that we actually understand that Pentecost is in the time of year that is the feast of first fruits and the feast of harvest. But now we're going to ask the question, what possible relevance does that have for us in the year 
2022? Does that really make a difference in our life? And what is the spiritual significance of the wheat harvest? Is that really going to change our lives? And the answer to that, of course, is yes, because everything in the Bible is personal, powerful, prophetic, and relevant. Can you say that with me? Everything in the Bible is personal, powerful, prophetic, and relevant. And so put your hands up right now and say, Holy Spirit, I want to learn more about you. And I claim that tonight there will be a divine encounter with your power in my life that you will burn within me. Fire, holy fire, come. Holy fire, come. Come on, holy fire, come. In Jesus' name. Now, really quickly, I want us to go to Luke chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And I want you to see this because it's very important for us to know that John the Baptist also likened the baptism of the Holy Spirit and shared with us now that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is really a prophetic parallel of what happens at the wheat harvest. Notice what the Bible says in Luke, chap excuse me, Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answered, saying unto them, I indeed baptize you with water, but there is one that comes that is mightier than I, hallelujah, whose shoe latchet I'm not worthy to unloose, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now watch verse 17. Whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and he will gather the wheat into the garner, but the chaff he will burn in the fire unquenchable. All right, I want to explain to you for a moment why baptism in the Holy Spirit is likened under the wheat harvest and what exactly is happening here. Notice that John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh who is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. All right, notice that his baptism is only a demonstration of another baptism. John's baptism was of this earth. But the baptism in the spirit is a baptism that comes from heaven. John was a man who baptized with water. But Jesus, hallelujah, who became a man, is almighty God who baptizes with another baptism. And that baptism is not of this world. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Say, Holy Spirit, I want Holy Spirit baptism. Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I want you to see what John is going to explain to us. He is using wheat harvest language. Set with me. He's using wheat harvest language. Look at verse 17. He says, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor. He will gather the wheat into the garner, but the chaff he will burn in fire unquenchable. In biblical times, during the wheat harvest, there was what was called a threshing floor. He will thoroughly purge his floor. What does that mean? It means that after the wheat is harvested, it is put on what is called into what is called a threshing floor. And the, the wheat is still a bit moist. It hasn't dried out completely when it's harvested. And it would be laid out flat 
And then once the wheat was laid out flat, you couldn't just go and make bread with wheat like that. That's not the way you make bread. Okay, it had to be laid out flat, it had to dry, and then an, an animal would come that was a hoofed animal. It had to be a donkey or it had to be a, a horse or an oxen. And then attached to that animal was a piece of wood. And that wood underneath it had like sharp teeth. And that was called a threshing instrument. Say it with me, a threshing instrument. Many times you've read in the scripture about a threshing instrument. This threshing instrument would go over the dried out wheat and it would crack it. And it would separate the kernel on the top from the chaff. And then what would happen is that the animal would begin to walk over it and crush it so that the skin that was over the wheat, uh, the, the seed in the wheat would begin to weaken and begin to flake apart. Are you with me? Then he would take a basket, if you will, called a winnowing fan. And he would, the person that was winnowing the wheat would take the wheat and throw it up in the air and the wind would blow the chaff off. And then it would be ready for the grinding and the crushing into meal for the bread. Now, John is using this process to describe the baptism in the spirit. That the work of fire, say it with me, fire. Fire, fire is cleansing. Fire is purging. Fire is igniting. Hallelujah. And tonight, God wants everyone to know that the church is about to be baptized with a new baptism of fire. Hallelujah. Celestial fire. Fire from heaven, not of this earth. All right. So we see this purification. So what it says, notice, continue in verse 17. It says, he will gather the wheat into the garner, but the chaff he will burn in fire unquenchable. What is that? That is not speaking of the fire of hell. Okay, we know hell fire. We've read about it. All those who do not have Christ in their hearts and the, at the eternal judgment, we're not going to go into the doctrine of hell, but that is not what this is referring to. This is referring to when you are baptized in the spirit, you receive the anointing of fire that cannot be quenched. That means it's harder to quench the fire than not to quench the fire because there's grace to keep the fire going. So you got to work real hard at it to become an old wine bottle. I hope somebody's hearing this. You have to work really hard at it for the fire to go out. Put your hands up right now and say, Holy Spirit, never let the fire go out. So I want you to understand, beloved saints, that the fire will not go out um, through storms. The fire doesn't go out through water, natural water. You see, water is always a prophetic type. So sometimes water represents the power of the spirit. And there are other times water represents trials and tribulations and floods and, and the things that we go through in this world. And this is why Isaiah chapter 43 verse 2 says, when you pass through the fire, I will be with you. And the floods, they will not overpower you. Hallelujah. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. What does that mean? That means that there is this, a, a 
fire and there is a water that is heavenly. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. amen. And the baptism in the spirit, the baptism in the spirit keeps you serving God so that the, the fire, the fire is not put out by the storms of life. You continue to go forward and to serve God. Put your hands up right now and say, I want to be faithful to the end. Say this with me. I don't want to fall away. I want to serve God completely. Somebody should shout the victory and give God the glory. Hallelujah. All right. So here we see, beloved saints, hallelujah. Let us just continue in the context. I want you now, because I want to show you the spiritual significance of the wheat harvest. So let's go to the book of Judges. And I'm going to show you now from the Hebrew scriptures, the book of Judges. And the book of Judges, beloved saints, we're going to look, if we can, at Judges chapter, we're going to look at Judges chapter 1. And let's go to Judges chapter 1. First thing I want you to understand is that the book of Judges, beloved saints, um, is really, okay, can I just take you into a classroom for a minute? How many of you would like to kind of kind of graduate a little bit just for a minute? Uh, not that you need graduating, you don't. But if you don't mind, can I take you into a school of theology for a minute? Yes. Is that okay? Yes. All right. You know, sometimes we pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to study formally. And I would like to, if possible, to give you some, some real spiritual formation so that if you ever do study formally, you'll pass like that. It won't be hard because you already know it. Okay, I, I want to train God's people in this ministry to be so educated in the things of God that you are completely spiritually prophetic, but also know how to rightly divide the scriptures. Okay. Okay. So if you're in seminary, let's just say you went to seminary, you checked in and say, okay, or a Bible school, if you're going to take New Testament studies, you are going to, under the New Testament studies, you don't just study the New Testament and have a Bible study. When you go to seminary, you are going to take New Testament theology. You'll take biblical exegesis. You'll learn Greek. That's really hard. You'll learn Greek. You'll learn all kinds of things. You'll learn um, methodology, which most people in this ministry already learn it because I teach it all the time and you don't even realize it that you're already getting it. All right, you're, you're learning biblical hermeneutics constantly in this ministry. So most of you already are at the status of a seminary student, whether you realized it or not. Hello, somebody. Okay, it's really true. And I say that because it's not my doing, it's the Holy Ghost. Okay, so I'm saying that only to, to rectify what I'm about to say. All right, tonight I want you to see that there is... When we look at the book of Judges, this book of Judges actually shows us a prophetic agenda written by the prophet Samuel, because he's the author of the book of Judges, shows us a pneumatology. Can you say this with me? Pneumatology. Pneumatology. Okay. Pneumatology is taken from the word pneuma, and the word pneuma means spirit. So if you go to study, you're going to study the doctrines of God in the scripture. You're going to study doctrine. 
If you are going to a Bible school or a Bible seminary, you're going to have to study Christian doctrines. And there are many Christian doctrines. There's the doctrine of salvation. There's the doctrine of Jesus Christ. There's the doctrine of heaven and hell. There are the doctrines of various doctrines that are throughout the scripture that make our Christian faith. And if we don't know Christian doctrine, we're in trouble. Okay, because if we don't know that Jesus Christ is true God and true man, our salvation is at stake. And if we don't know the doctrine of salvation and know certain things in the scripture, if we don't know the doctrine of God, that God is not just put a mask on sometimes and says the father and then other times he's the son and other times he's the Holy Spirit, we're not going to even enter the kingdom because our theology is off. Hello? Are you with me? All right, so I want us to be able to be scripturally astute enough so that when the prophetic anointing comes on you, you are going to be the end time ministers, but you're going to have, there's uh, so much heresy and so much apathy right now in the body of Christ that God wants to raise you up as end time ministers to do God's work. Are you with me? Okay. So pneumatology is the study of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And throughout the book of Judges, the, the theme is not history. The theme is pneumatology because every one of the judges were selected by God, by the Spirit of God coming upon them. Let me give you a little example. All right, let's go to Judges chapter 1 really quick. I'm going to show you this pattern only to substantiate what I'm about to show you. Judges. Well, let's look at Judges chapter, chapter uh, 3. Judges chapter 3 introduces the first judge whose name is Othniel. Notice verse 10. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. See how the Spirit of the Lord came on him? Look at that. Judges 3, verse 10, say the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. Okay, let's look at another, another instance of the Spirit of the Lord. Let's go to Gideon. And let's go to Judges chapter, let's go to Judges chapter 6, verse 34. Watch it and see what it says. It says, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Notice, we just read the Spirit of the Lord came on Othniel. Now we are seeing the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, aren't we? So we're seeing the judges are being identified by the Spirit of the Lord coming upon them. Do you see that? If you do, say amen. Okay, let's go over to Judges 11, and we're going to see with Yipta. He also was a judge, and we're going to see the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Looking at Judges chapter 11, and Yipta is one of the most powerful judges, all right? Judges chapter 11, I didn't plan on going through all these various, um, I'm sorry, I have to do this, this is a new Bible, all right? Um, here we see Judges chapter 11, verse 29. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Yipta, and he passed over Gilead. Notice, Spirit of the Lord came on Yipta. The Spirit of the Lord came on, on Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord came on Othniel. Now let's go over to Samson. How many of you want to see the Spirit of the Lord on Samson? Yes. All right, let's go to Judges chapter 15, 14. Notice, Judges 14, verse 6. 
And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Notice. How many of you see that? Read that with me. The spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Let's go back to Judges 13. Watch this in verse 25. And the spirit of the Lord began to move him at times. Uh, Judges 13, 25. The spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp between Dan and Zorah. So I want you to see Samson was really filled with the spirit of God. Do you see that? Okay, so we see Othniel, the first judge. He was, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. We see later in Judges history, we see that the Bible is going out of its way to tell us the spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. Then we saw the spirit of the Lord coming on Yifta. Now we're seeing the spirit of the Lord, hallelujah, coming on Samson. Are you seeing this? Say this with me. The judges had the spirit of the Lord upon them. Okay, now the book of Judges is not about a judge with a big claver. That's not what this is about. Let's go to Judges chapter 2, verses 16 and 18. And I want to show you that the judges were deliverers. Say this with me. I want a deliverance ministry. I want to be able to cast out devils because that's my destiny. Somebody should shout the victory here. I'm going somewhere with this. Turn to your neighbor and say, not boring Hebrew history. Say this with me, personal, powerful, prophetic, and relevant. Are you with me? It's relevant. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's really relevant. And it's happening now. Okay. So here we see, nevertheless, this is after Israel's sin. Nevertheless, the Lord raised them up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of them that spoiled them. So I want you to see the ministry of the judges was a deliverance ministry. Are you with me? So the method of their warfare was not carnal. The wet method of their warfare, you're not going to read in the book of Judges about their weapons. You're not going to read in the book of Judges about their skilled military strategy. You're going to read in the book of Judges on how the Spirit of God moved them and the kind of weapons that they used that were not of this world. Hello, somebody. Can I get a witness? Say this with me. I want those weapons of war. Say this with me because I'm fighting some heavy demonic spirits. I'm fighting some principalities and powers. And I need deliverance tonight. Can I get a witness somewhere? Okay. Now that we've established this, we've established the fact that the book of Judges is actually the whole core of the book of Judges. The methodology is pneumatology, okay? That that's the theme. That is one of the themes, is the role of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to see the role of the Holy Spirit in the book of Judges is the role of the spirit of power and the spirit of might. Say it with me, the spirit of power and the spirit of might. Say this with me, you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Hallelujah. 
Now you say, okay, Dr. Corral, that's really great and praise the Lord, but where in the world does the weed harvest come in? Oh my goodness, you asked the right question. Where does the weed harvest come in? Let's go to Judges chapter six. Judges chapter six, one of the mightiest, mightiest, mightiest judges was a man by the name of Gidon. We call him Gideon, but his name was Gidon. All right, this man was raised up. Let me just tell you something that all the judges had in common. Guess what their resume said? Qualified. Maybe you didn't hear me. Guess what their resume said? Unqualified. Maybe over here? Hello? Guess what their resume said? In order to be a judge, you had to be unqualified for the job. Did you hear me? Yes. Okay. That was a requirement. All judges had to be unqualified because every one of the judges had a detriment. Every one of the judges had a detriment, either physical or emotional. Some had emotional detriments. Oh my gosh, Holy Spirit, you can use somebody with some hangups. Hello, somebody. I said, Holy Spirit, you mean you can use somebody with some hangups? Let me tell you, some of the most anointed people I know have a lot of hangups. Hello, somebody. Are you with me? They've been crying all day because they're emotionally all stirred up and anxious, but they're the most anointed people you ever met. Hello. The Lord's not looking for somebody who's Mr. and Mrs. Perfect. Oh, the book of Judges, pneumatology shows us no way is the Holy Ghost doing that. That doesn't mean it's a license to use our weakness. That is not a license to use our weakness to sin. But Jephthah, oh my gosh, that man had some major hangups. And they weren't his fault. He went through rejection worse than any of the other judges. He was basically robbed from his inheritance because his mother was a harlot. And his brothers born from the wife, the other woman that his father married. Sometimes in the Bible, there's a big scoop. <laughs> the Bible doesn't play games, you know? Hello, somebody. I said, sometimes in the Bible, there's a big scoop because God doesn't play games. He doesn't expect us to live in a, in a world that is absolutely perfect. He's showing us the real world. This is reality. And Jephthah's father was really unbelievable toward him. The Bible tells us that the wife he married, it wasn't Jephthah's mother. She had her own sons. And her sons and her said, you're not going to inherit your father's inheritance because you're the son of a harlot. And so they drove Gideon out of his land. 
of his own choice, he chose, or not Gideon, Yifta. Yifta went of his own accord to another place. But if you read Yifta's life, you will see that he came back and the very people who drove him out asked, asked him to rule over them. Hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. I'm speaking to someone here. Okay. So looking at Gideon, very unqualified. Jephthah, completely emotionally stigmatized, socially stigmatized. Maybe not so much emotionally stigmatized, but socially stigmatized. Got that little thing there that everybody says, this is what kind of family you come from. This is who you are. God says, you're just the person I need. I needed somebody like you. You're the candidate. Because every judge was unqualified. Hello, somebody. I said, God's looking for some unqualified people. God is looking for some dysfunctional families that he can use for his glory. Somebody ought to shout the victory. Say welcome to the real world. Okay. So now we are going to Judges chapter 6. The Bible says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. This is a, this is a stronghold. This is a curse. Happened for seven long years. But say this with me. Seven is the symbol of the Holy Ghost. And say this with me. I'm coming, near, I'm coming close to Shavuot. The Feast of Pentecost, which is the Feast of Seven Weeks. Hallelujah. Seven weeks are over, then it's Pentecost. Hello, somebody. All right. So the Midianites persecute. They persecute the children of Israel, and they drive them into dens, and they drive them into the mountains, and they are a destroying nation. They come and they destroy all of their crops. They destroy everything. But I want you to see what happens. Notice, we're going to go to Judges chapter 6, and we're going to look, and we're going to see the call of Gideon. And I want you to know that call of Gideon is just like the call of God on your life. The Bible says in verse 11, look at verse 11. The Bible says, and there came an angel of the Lord and sat under the oak tree, which was in Orphrah, which pertained to Joash, the Abiezerite, and his son Gideon, watch this, threshed wheat. Hello, somebody. He threshed wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. This is the time of Pentecost when the angel is going to come to Gideon. Are you with me? Now, in this narrative, you are going to see some of the greatest supernatural secrets of Pentecost in this text that you can ever read. First of all, we I want you to see that the angel of the Lord is going to call him during the time of Pentecost. In, in reality, I want you to understand what happens when somebody's baptized in the Spirit. When you become baptized in the Holy Ghost, there's a call of God that God is going to call out on your life. One of the signs that you've been baptized in the Spirit is you know your calling. 
because that's what happens. Your calling didn't happen when you were baptized in the Spirit, but the baptism in the Spirit brings to you the reality of what you were born on this earth to do. You see, once you're baptized in the Spirit, the call of God comes on your life to serve God because baptism in the Spirit has been given to you not to feel good, but to serve God. Hallelujah. All right. Now, we see these supernatural secrets that are hidden here. When we see Gideon, hallelujah, somebody should praise the Lord. So here we see, number, number one, we are seeing in Gideon, beloved saints, the unqualified, and we're seeing the first prophetic principle is that he's going to be called of God but it's the least expected that has been elected. Say this with me. The least expected is the one elected for purpose and promise. Say this with me. Holy Spirit, I feel like the least, the least one, but it's through being the least one that God chooses you. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to see that as we go on looking at the scripture, the angel is going to tell him his mission. The angel is calling him. First of all, we see in the scripture in verse 12, the angel calls him a mighty man of valor. You know, Gideon didn't know he was a mighty man of valor. He had no idea. Gideon was actually a weakling. Do you know how many Midianites invaded the land of Israel? The Bible tells us in verse 5 of Judges chapter 6 that they were like grasshoppers for a multitude. They originally started out to be a tribe, a nation that was just a tribe, a very small tribe, tribe of Midianites. Very small, but they multiplied. And they were without number. And so therefore, if they're going to have to face this this seven years of these people invading the land, they took all their cattle, they took all their, all their livestock, they um, impoverished them, they burnt all their crops, they were destroying spirit. And now God needs someone, you know why? Because the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And as soon as they cried unto the Lord and said, help us, God said, all right, I already got the deliverer in place. Amen. Say this with me. God's already got my deliverance in place before the dilemma. He's already ordered my deliverance before the dilemma, and somebody ought to shout the victory. God is just waiting for you to ask him. He's just waiting for you to cry out. He's just waiting for you to trust him. He's just waiting for you to say, Lord, I can't live like this anymore. Send the Holy Ghost. All right. So we see, beloved saints, this angel appears, and in, verse, and in verse 12, the Bible calls him and says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Ooh, he didn't know he was a mighty man of valor. As a matter of fact, he is threshing wheat to hide it from the Midianites. He's kind of hiding, isn't he? 
We don't see any boldness here. We just see a man who's just trying to survive. Now, I want you to see, when you are baptized in the Spirit, God gives you your true identity. Amen. When you are baptized in the Spirit and you step into your ministry, that's when you become your true self. Hello, somebody, can I get a witness? Hallelujah. But we need to also balance. We can't put our... We can't put a false self into ministry. We have to be real. That's why when you're, when you're in ministry, you don't stop being a mother. You don't stop being a wife or you don't stop being a sister. You don't stop being a brother just because you're in the ministry. Hello, somebody. Can I get a witness? God calls real people. All right, so now, so now we see you mighty man of valor. And notice he's going to call him and he's going to tell him that he is going to deliver. Gideon is going to complain to the angel. And God is going to tell him through the angel that you are the deliverer. He is saying to him, look at, look at the scripture. He says, now verse 14 and the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, for thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites, have I not sent you? And he said, O Lord, how shall I save Israel? For behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. But watch verse 16. Verse 16 says, the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you shall smite the Midianites as one man. What happens when we're baptized in the spirit? We come into one accord. The Bible says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place. And I want you to know one of the greatest works of the Holy Spirit is to unite the body of Christ. Not just to unite the body of Christ in the sense of fellowship, but to go deeper, to unite the body of Christ as one. Hallelujah, that we bear one one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ that we are able to come in that same spirit hallelujah in oneness of spirit Paul said to the church at Corinth he said Titus walks in the same spirit I walk in what does it mean to walk in the same spirit it means you're one in the spirit with that person it means you think like that person it means that you have the same vision as that person it it means that when you're in a ministry, the Spirit of God baptizes you into a vision. You are not baptized to be unto your own, but it's a work of the Spirit, oneness. You shall drive the Midianites out as one man. Are you with me? Say this with me, for there's one body. Hallelujah, and by one Spirit. Have we all been baptized into one body? Let us look, beloved saints. Let us look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're looking here at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's go over there just for a moment. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And the Bible says, 
uh, looking at verse 17. Let's go first to verse 12. The Bible says in verse 12, for as the body is one, say it with me, one. For as the body is one and has many members, all of the members of that one body, many are one body, so also is Christ. Notice in verse 12, the word one is three times. Say it with me, one, one, one. He is continually accentuating one body with many members, and the many members of that one body being many are one body. He's repeating himself over and over again because why? When you are baptized into the Spirit of God, you are baptized into the body of Christ, and you are baptized into a vision. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the Bible tells us, hallelujah, glory to God. And the Bible says, the scripture says, verse 18, and God has set the members, every one of them in the body as it has pleased him. And the scripture says over and over, we keep seeing this concept of one body. So I want you to see, dear people of God, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. I want you to see it. This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth concerning the oneness in the spirit with Titus. If you could just have one person, one in the spirit with you, there's nothing impossible. Just one person on the same page, one person with the same agreement, one person who walks as you walk. One person who's in that unity. Can you imagine if the whole body was in unity? Right now, God is speaking prophetically to the world in many different ways. Amen. And we're sitting back watching the news, and we're not even getting it. Because what's happening in the Ukraine right now should teach every Christian about unity. Amen. that how in the world did the Ukrainians stand off against Kiev with, with no strength compared to Russia, with no strength to be able to resist the Russian brutality and horrific invasion into that country? How were they able to withstand the standoff in Kiev? Unity. They, they, I heard the other day that when certain cities were being bombed by the Russians, that the Ukrainians were singing their, a song about the unity of their nation while they were being bombed. They're determined. Yes, yes. They're not going to retreat. They're determined. And you know what? That kind of unity brings victory. Hello, somebody. That kind of unity is undefeatable. And that's a sign to the church. We're so divided. We're so, one of the reasons we're so divided, can I just talk? Can I just say it? Let me just say it, and then you can just process it. Is because selfishness makes us self-centered. 
And so, so many times we're into our own thing, we're into our own world, we're into our own agenda, and we don't even realize that we're self-centered. We don't even realize that self-centeredness breaks the unity up in the body of Christ. But the Bible tells us the remedy for this disunity that comes from self-centeredness. Look at Philippians chapter 2, because Paul teaches us how to be one. I don't know about you, but I want to be one. You see, God told Gideon, you are going to drive these thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Midianites out as one man. Hello? If there be any consolation in Christ, if there be any comfort of love, if there be any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, hmm, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. Now watch this. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. And this is part of the reason we, we want, we want the, we would, we love the glory. In the early days of, of training, when I was very young in the ministry, I thank God for the teachers that God put in my life, in the life of the last generation, all of us who came through that last generation. Our teachers were very strict, but I thank God for it. And the first thing they taught us when moving in the things of God was you were never seen. Put yourself aside, die to your flesh, and do not let yourself be seen. You're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. And we were taught this day in and day out. Because you can always tell a novice in ministry when you've been in the ministry this long. Okay, A novice is someone, you can always tell, they got to get their agenda out there. They just got to get it out. A little youngster, he just got to say what he's got to say, okay, because they, they haven't learned yet not to be seen. They haven't learned how to be unseen like John the Baptist. I must decrease, but he must increase. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Okay. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Now watch this. Look not on every man on his own things, but every man also on the needs or things of others. Self-centeredness is going to break up the body. Being concerned with your own problems is going to break up the unity of the spirit. Because true koinonia isn't just sharing physical things. They shared everything. They had all things in common. So you know what they shared? They shared all their finances. They, in the early church, there was a move of God, a miraculous move. People would sell their property, lay it at the apostles' feet, and it would be given as distribution for the needs of the saints. It was miraculous. It was a miraculous move of the Spirit. Barnabas was the one who actually started that revival. 
If you look at the book of Acts, Barnabas was the first person who sold his property and laid it. It's, it's the last verse of Acts chapter 4. And it's the prelude to Acts chapter 5 where Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Ghost as if they sold their property all to lay it at the apostles' feet. Are you with me? But it was a move of God. People were doing this. It was something that the Spirit of God led them to do because, because koinonia, that's what fellowship is in Hebrew, uh, in Greek. It's the word koinonia. And koinonia means all things in common. So it means sharing. It means, it means sacrificing for one another. And so we see, beloved saints, that, that it's not just selling your property and giving it. There are some things that we're really self-centered about. We're self-centered on our issues. We don't want to give of ourselves. We like our little sweet world and comfy world, and we're not going to break out of it for nothing. And so we're stuck. And that's why we don't grow, and that's why our life never changes. Because we're stuck in our selfishness. And we're never going to see a revival with selfishness. The Holy Ghost does not bless selfishness. The Holy Ghost blesses selflessness. Are you with me? Selflessness. Set with me, selflessness. So we got to train ourselves to think about others. It's not something that just happens because you speak in tongues. You didn't just make yourself selfless by speaking in tongues. You got to daily, on purpose, choose to put other people before yourself. You got to every day, on purpose, choose to be a servant. Every day, on purpose, choose to serve other people. That doesn't mean you abuse yourself, but that does mean that there is a, a, a mindset that the Bible is teaching us, look not every man on his own things, but also on the things of others. You're going you're gonna to take down Midian as one man. Say this with me, Holy Ghost. We're getting ready to take down Midianites. We're getting ready to take down every spirit that's trying to destroy our destinies. Hello, somebody, are you with me? All right, just really quickly, in conclusion, go back to Judges. We're almost finished. I want to show you in Judges. Now, we're, we're seeing here the baptism in the Holy Spirit because of the wheat harvest. Say it with me. He was threshing wheat when the call came to Gideon. Say this with me. Principle number one. The one you never, never expected has been elected for the things of God. Number two, say this with me, oneness, the supernatural secret of unity in the body of Christ through baptism in the spirit. Say this with me, Holy Spirit, make us one. Okay, now we are seeing in Judges chapter 7. Okay, so, so Gideon accepts the call of God, and I want you to see in Judges chapter 7, that he calls for a battle to take place. I'm going to have to fix this now because it got watered on, but that's all right. 
I'm not intimidated over it. The devil is a liar. Hello. Okay, and so we're seeing in Judges chapter 7 that there's going to be a battle. And Gideon blows the trumpet and many thousands and thousands from Israel respond. It's outstanding. Thousands and thousands respond. And the Lord said, now I am going to cut down these men. Lest Israel should vaunt himself against me and say that it was through my hand that I delivered through their own hand from the power of the Midianites. So Gideon made an announcement. God said, anyone who is fearful to send them home. So give them an opportunity that if they're afraid to go in this battle, give them the option to go home. So Gideon made the announcement and said, whosoever among you is fearful, let him return to his house. And they did, 22,000. And this is how the Holy Spirit begins to purge. He begins, many are called, but few are chosen. See, they were all called to the battle. Hello, somebody. They were all called to experience, but you see, only a few were going to be chosen. Those who were willing to pay the price were going to be chosen. Hello? And the reason they went back is there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Midianites. And there's not that many from Israel. They're outnumbered. So God said to Gideon, send them, give them the option. And they returned, 22,000. So the balance and the remainder of those within Israel were 10,000. And God said, I'm going to test the 10,000. See, 10 is a number of testing. Say it with me. 10 is a number of testing. He said, I'm going to test them by the waters. And he said, the ones that lap like a dog when they, when they drink the water, they're going to take the water to their hand and they're going to lap like a dog. You're going to set them aside. And the other ones who bow down on their knees and drink looking down, you're going to separate them. And so only 300 took the water and brought it to their eyes so that while they were drinking, they were still watching. Hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. I said, while they were drinking, they were still watching. I, I'm going to say that again. You see, God cannot have someone in the army that's not a watchman, that doesn't have the chutzpah to be able to say, you know what, I'm just drinking, but I'm not so into what I'm doing because I'm serving God at the same time. Say this with me. There's never a time you let go of the anointing. God said, it's the 300. 300 against an innumerable multitude. And that 300 is going to be one in the spirit, just like Gideon. Because the Bible goes on in the narrative to tell us everything Gideon did, they did. I said, everything Gideon did, they did. Hello, somebody. They didn't do their own thing. They did everything that Gideon did. They had a like spirit like Gideon. 
sweetie, you can do your own thing all you want. I'm preaching to you so that you can get the anointing. There is an available anointing that the church has not yet tasted, but we've been delayed too long now. We got to get our act together. Time is running out. Are you with me? So they were so one in the spirit with Gideon. Now watch what their weapons were. God said, Here's, what you're, here's your war cry. See, all throughout the Bible, there's always a war cry. Before they go to battle, there's always a war cry. The Spirit of God puts it in their mouth. What was your last war cry? If you haven't ever had a war cry, God will put it in your mouth tonight. Okay. Joshua's war cry was, be strong and very courageous. That was the war cry. So every time Joshua began a battle, they would begin it with, be strong and very courageous. And the Spirit of God went out before him. Hello? Prophetically, every battle you enter into, God wants to give you a war cry. The war cry here was, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Are you with me? But there was no sword. They didn't have swords. They didn't carry swords. Their weapons were very unusual. God said, you're going to take a trumpet in one hand, a shofar. And in the other hand, you're going to have a pitcher, an earthen vessel, a pitcher. And inside the pitcher, you're going to have a flame of fire. Pitcher? Fire. A pitcher with fire and a shofar? Two works of the Spirit of God. Number one, the shofar. If you're going to have a shofar, you have to hold on to it, don't you? Have you ever known somebody blowing a shofar that wasn't holding it? You have to hold on, don't you? If you have a shofar, you have to hold, don't you? Many of us don't know about holding our position. Say, hold on to your position and don't change it. See, so often circumstances change our position. We allow what it looks like on the outside to change spiritually what God wants to do, but you've got to hold your position and don't let it go. What happened with Jacob when he was wrestling with the angel? He held on. Say this with me, I'm not changing. I'm holding my position. Okay, you gotta hold on to that position. You're not changing your mind. You're holding on. Okay. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon that, become, that is the trumpet, the shofar, represents God's promise. God promised Abraham and said, your seed shall possess 
the gates of his enemies. God did this right, you see, when he was ready to sacrifice Isaac and didn't have to. There was a ram caught by its horn in the thicket. Yes. And the ram's horn is the shofar. The ram's horn became a sign of the promises. God said, your seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. So you got to hold on. Hold on and blow the trumpet. Hold on and say, I believe it. I believe every promise. I believe every word. I believe everything that God has ever told me. And I'm not going to let it go. The second one. Mm, this is a, this is a powerful weapon. Phew. God said, "You're gonna take the pitchers and you're gonna break them. You're gonna break the pitcher. Break it after the sound of the shofar." You're going to break the picture. What kind of weapon is that? A broken vessel. I said a broken vessel. Let me tell you over here, okay? When a broken vessel goes to war and is still fighting, there is a power that comes down from heaven. Though you are crying, though you are weeping, though you are troubled, though you are perplexed, God is saying to you, hallelujah, it's the power of a broken vessel. Are you hearing this? There's power in what you've been through. There's power in the fact, you see, there's power in the fact that you might have gone through the worst disappointment of your whole life. You didn't realize now. You went through this, and God knows, God only knows why you went through it. Nobody knows why it was not your fault. But now, when you serve God, you have so much power. Now when you serve God, you are so powerful. That strength isn't coming from you. That strength is coming from the fire that is in you. Stand to your feet. We're just going to raise our hands. Hallelujah. We're going to say yes to the Lord tonight. God, we want to praise you. Hallelujah. We are Gideon's army. God, we want to praise you tonight. Hallelujah. There is a Gideon anointing in this house. Hallelujah. You've got the weapons of war in your hand, holding on to the promises of God. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at 
mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D, to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.